0: This is a Suno India production and you are listening to Climate Emergency. Before we start, let me tell you a story of an environmentalist who went to Delhi in search of doing bigger things like fighting climate change, change policies and make lives better. He was in Delhi for a few years, fell in love with the city, worked at amazing organizations where he made some change. Settled down, bought a child home with his wife. Everything was going great. But then, his daughter started falling sick more than usual. Every year in winter, it started to get worse. She would get up at nights and cough for hours. He eventually became a climate migrant and had to leave the city, not because he could afford to, but because he had to. Ironically, this is my story. The thousands of stories like this we hear every year, some even call Delhi a gas chamber. But why is Delhi failing and what needs to be done to make it a better place for children to breathe and parents to live? To discuss this and more, we talked to Pallavi Pant, who was originally from Delhi but now lives in Boston. She has over 10 years experience in air quality measurement and management Uh, so getting to the point you know why does delhi have this problem every year Uh, what what is the main problem why is this you know air pollution issue coming up every year
1: yeah so basically delhi happens to be situated in a very sort of interesting place, so it's not just our air pollution sources and you know sort of within the boundaries of Delhi and around, but also the meteorological factors or so, you know weather parameters like wind speed, where the wind's actually coming from, what the temperatures are in the city, what the relative humidity levels are all of them sort of come together to create a situation where air pollution levels go up um you know significantly compared to what we would expect it to be. In terms of sources of air pollution, um, there are some local sources which are producing pollution within the city. So things like transportation, things like waste burning, um, and some informal factories that operate within the city. Um, There are also broader regional sources. So if there are power plants in the broader you know, northern uh, indo gangetic Plains area, they impact air quality across the region in some seasons in particular. So right now, for example, we are struggling more than usual because we have a lot of uh, emissions coming from Punjab and Haryana towards Delhi, um, where crops, um, you know, are being burned in summer. On the other hand, uh, we tend to get dust from the um, you know desert and Rajasthan, so I think it's a confluence of a number of local and regional sources, um, the topography of Delhi, where it is situated, and the fact that weather patterns change quite a bit so every year around this time, we have some specific sources that become sort of very important. We have uh, particular kinds of weather patterns that are You know, sort of making or bringing all of this pollution over towards Delhi. And that confluence together uh, leads to the situation where air quality levels become really, really poor. And uh, we, you know, we're able to see this visible sort of haze and smog around us. And even in if you you know think back to just the last week we have gone through this cycle where we had really high levels everything's gray and dark to now where the levels have gone down a little bit and what changed really is that the the weather patterns changed a little bit so it was able to you know disperse some of that pollution and not everything was coming into the city directly
0: so uh, i mean We've been hearing about the problem of air pollution, I would say, more often in the last uh, five to six years. Um, Has it really been getting worse in the last five years or is it just we are getting better equipment now to monitor it and track it? Uh,
1: Again, I think it varies a little bit uh, from year to year because the weather conditions are not exactly the same every year. Um, In the last few years, there's also been efforts to try and control some of the crop burning in Rajasthan and Punjab. Sorry, Haryana and Punjab. And um, I think the highest levels we saw were probably like 2016, 2017. They were really high. This year was very bad as well. And I think improved monitoring is helping us because we are getting more information. Um, In the public domain, we're able to monitor in more places. But um, it's also... I think the the issue that more and more people are becoming really aware, so they're seeking various sources of information. We now have forecasting systems that can predict what air pollution is going to be tomorrow, the day after tomorrow. We have monitoring systems, both um, you know run by the Central Pollution Control Board and the Delhi Pollution Control Committee, but also a lot of low cost sensors that people run um, sort of in their backyards or low cost sensor networks that have been deployed across the city. So we really have a lot of information and that's making it easier to find, you know, those trends and patterns and say that the levels are high in this part of the city or that part of the city. If we, you know, sort of step outside of this Delhi um, zone for a minute and think about the other smaller cities and towns in this belt, uh, the Indo-Gangetic Plains belt, there are many places where we just don't know what the air quality levels are because there's no monitoring happening on the ground. And as a result, it's doesn't get highlighted as much. So on particular days, um, in fact, pollution levels might be higher in, you know, let's say a smaller town, uh, maybe 200 kilometers outside Delhi. But we wouldn't really hear a lot about it because we haven't seen any data on it. So I think data definitely is playing a role in, um, you know, sort of making it more visible in some ways.
0: Uh, and you know, can you simplify how air pollution is measured i mean i understand you know we we keep hearing a lot about pm 2.5 pm 10 uh, but i mean mm-hmm. can you simplify it like how small is this uh, i mean i was also reading somewhere i think uh, someone posted a cartoon about uh, pm 2.5 can actually get in through the sides of your mask can you simplify and explain a little bit
1: yeah so imagine you know something like a strand of hair which we can all see with our naked eyes and that's about um, you know 60, 70 microns, uh, typically. Um, When we talk about PM10 and PM2.5, what we are essentially referring to is the, you know, how big is the particle, so what's the size? Um, So 10 refers to 10 microns, 2.5 refers to 2.5 microns. So again, think about the scale. Human hair, really thin. You can see one strand. That's about... um, 60 to 70 microns. Now we're talking about, um, you know, 2.5 microns and smaller. These particles tend to be very, very small, and um, you know, a lot of them you can't see with your naked eye individually. You we would never be able to see a particle in the air. The dust that we can see, um, you know, the really big particles they are already several folds uh, bigger. So like you know, uh, 50 microns, 70 microns. They're in that size range. And in terms of measuring them, there are, you know, a number of uh, methods that can be used. There are some methods that can do monitoring of these pollutants in real time. Um, Other sort of uh, ways which have been used for much longer include using uh, specific filters that you can place. And then, um, you know, as air is passing through them, those particles can just settle on the filter. And again, on those filters, if you see, uh, you know, a filter... Sample from Delhi, you would be able to see, you know, it's like really often it's very dark and black um, compared to another place which might be a little bit cleaner, and you're gonna see this whole like, you know, gradation of um colors. Coming to the masks, I think the biggest issue there is that a mask can can work if it fits your face really well and if it is sealed from all the sides. So there's no air going in from the corners, because essentially what it is doing is filtering out any air that's going into your um, sort of breathing space. So the problem is, if the mask is something like a cloth mask, for example, um, or a surgical mask that you can buy at the chemist shop, they are not meant to protect us against those very small particles, so they're not going to filter those out. If instead you're using, let's say, an N95 mask, What is that sort of referring to is that it is going to capture 95 percent of the particles that are um, you know in that air that you're taking in but if the mask doesn't fit your face really well of course you're going to have these particles going in from the other side and you'll end up breathing them um, into your system and because these particles tend to be very very small they can go sort of deep into our lungs Um, in some cases when they're very small. So we also know that there are particles, you know, one micron or smaller. So again, human hair about 70, you know, 60 micron, we're talking about particles that are one micron or smaller. So they can very easily go into our respiratory system, into the lungs, and in some cases, um, sort of go into the bloodstream as well. So that sort of You know the scale at which we are talking, and which is why we often can't see these particles in the air around us unless the levels reach catastrophic uh, concentrations.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, for example, I'll take the example of my daughter, uh, who Mm -hmm. lived in Delhi from the time she was uh, around uh, six months, I would say six months to around Mm -hmm. four years. There was no yeah. way that, you know, uh, she would let any of us even put the mask on her face. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. and these g- children are the most vulnerable, especially in the case of air pollution. So, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, the only options we had were to keep her indoors most of the time, uh, with air purifiers because she started to, uh, develop lung infections. Uh, and yeah. what are like the other health implications of this, uh, for general public?
1: Um, Yeah, so unfortunately, there are a variety of ways in which we have found that air pollution can impact our health. Uh, Most often what we see and, you know, hear about are respiratory illnesses, lung infection, for example. Um, Some people, you know, complain about uh, breathlessness when air pollution levels are really high. But I think it's important for us to also Consider that, you know, there are two distinct ways in which air pollution can impact us in the short term. So, for example, let's talk about the last one week in Delhi. Air pollution levels were very, very high and people were, you know, sort of getting exposed to those extremely high levels for about a few days, a few hours, depending on, you know, how much they were able to uh, sort of stay indoors and in cleaner, relatively cleaner environments. In those instances, most often you'll see aggravation of any kind of respiratory systems, um, sorry, respiratory conditions that people might have. Um, If you're out and about, you might, you know, feel like your eyes are watering, there's itchiness in your throat. But as the pollution levels sort of go down um, a little bit and things get uh, cleaner, those kinds of um, particular sort of symptoms would go away. But then the base levels of air pollution, you know, which are still pretty high in, um, in Delhi as well as across most of India, you're constantly getting exposed to these uh, levels day in and day out. And over the long term, this can lead to a range of um, sort of, you know, uh, health impacts, things like uh, cardiovascular diseases or so heart diseases, things like stroke. It can, um, you know, air pollution exposure has now been linked to diabetes um chest and lung infections of course are a big one lung cancer is another one and um there is increasing evidence um the the field is sort of i think still you know developing to some extent but air pollution exposure has been linked to a lot of cognitive outcomes in um pregnant women it can lead to preterm birth um so instead of you know the The baby being born at nine months, the baby's born earlier, um, or in some cases, uh, babies born smaller than the usual uh, weight they should be, which then has implications on their um, health and, you know, over the life term. So there's some kinds of health impacts that we know, um, you know, a lot more about. There's been a lot of research in the last several decades including a lot of research in India. And then there are other outcomes that we're still learning about. Um, There are newer studies coming out that link exposure to air pollution with dementia and Alzheimer's disease, and, um, you know, to some uh, sort of outcomes in children as well. So there's a whole spectrum, it can lead to sometimes um, infections on your skin. So that's another, uh, you know, way in which they can contribute. But I think what I would, again, try to emphasize is that there are impacts in the very short term, which you will see and feel immediately. Um, your eyes, you know, would start watering. I remember when I used to do field work in Delhi on, on roadside, that would almost always happen. You know, I would just feel really rough in my throat. My eyes would be watering it. It would be itchy. Um, But those go away once you're, you know, sort of out of that immediate, really high levels of exposure. But what's really, really happening to us in the longer term over years and years of exposure um, is that it's, you know, leading to these kinds of chronic diseases. And then um, often we can't link them back to air pollution because, you know, I would say, oh, well, um, you know, if if a person had a stroke, our immediate thought wouldn't be, well, could it be linked to air pollution? Or, you know, if they suffer from a cardiac arrest, for example, we wouldn't think immediately of air pollution as the problem. But in, in a lot of cases, it is um, sort of the, the trigger that led to that event later in life.
0: So, I mean, I understand, you know, a lot of other cities across the world also had similar air pollution problems, Beijing mm-hmm. or L.A., um, mm-hmm. Or even I think Paris, London, all these cities. Yeah. I mean, what what do they do that we are not able to do? That uh, you know uh, that they are able to tackle this problem.
1: Sure. So I think again, uh, you know, sort of taking a little bit of a pragmatic approach. Um, what's critical for us to understand is that the problem is persistent all year round. We see a lot of media attention, and we see a lot of you know sort of. Uh, public dialogue and discussion on, uh, you know, social media, you know, when people are talking to each other at times when air pollution is really visible. Um, So it would be, you know, about now, usually during winter. And then the discussion sort of wanes a little bit. And we are not asking, uh, you know, those kinds of important questions about uh, policies that are being put in place. Um, starting with Beijing, which is sort of a very recent example, where air pollution levels used to be extremely high, you know, they've sort of gone through that cycle where they have experienced absolutely bad um, air pollution episodes. And they they put in a number of different policies. And again, you know, not sort of focusing on one sector, not focusing on one source, but going across the board in terms of what the major sources are. In um, in L.A., for example, you know, this has been uh, an issue for the longest time, and they have been trying to implement measures, again, on a consistent basis in the long term, which has led to improvements in air quality. I would say the same thing for London. You know, over the years, they've tried several things, you um, not allowing the use of coal in households you know that was sort of uh, a very early decision they made in terms of trying to control air pollution and then over the years restricting what kind of vehicles can enter the city trying to keep um, you know things like uh, dirtier older vehicles out of the city limits so that the pollution is not happening within the confines of the city most recently earlier um, this year in fact they've implemented an ultra-low emission zone, which is now further restricting which kinds of vehicles can come in. But at the same time, there have been efforts to try and improve the public transport so that people are not really left with no choice in terms of how they can uh, commute. And, uh, you know, Paris, for example, again, occasionally suffers from these really bad air pollution episodes. Um, in many cases, you know, they tend to sort of stop private vehicles from uh, applying, they make public transport free for everyone. So I think thinking about solutions that are sustainable, that are still practically sort of, you know, um, user friendly in some ways, and solutions that cut across the sectors cut across the various departments that um, we tend to function in so it, it shouldn't just be the central pollution control board or you know the delhi pollution control committee that is thinking about the solutions it should also be the municipal corporations that are thinking about it in you know in indian cities including delhi at the local scale waste burning can be a very important source and one way in which, um, you know, authorities can react to that is by saying we will ban waste burning, which in, you know, some ways might uh, make sense to say, well, if burning is a problem, let's just ban it. But the real problem really goes beyond it, because if you ban waste burning, where is this waste going to go and how are we going to deal with it? So at the heart of it, the the question is, how do we improve our waste management system so that we don't resort to burning the waste. And, um, you know, that includes improving efficiency in how the waste management pickup happens, where it goes, as well as improving sort of and sensitizing people to try and make sure that they're reducing their, um, you know, waste production in some sense, that they're segregating the waste. So some of it can be recycled. Um, With transport, it's, you know, again, the same thing. We can't expect... That people would just give up private transport if a good, um, safe, reliable option is not available. In case you know, in terms of public transportation options. So I think, in in a nutshell, we need policies that are going to be effective in the long term. That will consistently try and improve upon uh, what's already been done, but at the same time, think about you know how that impacts the the greater sort of public in in some ways and what options are made available to them in case things are just taken out of the system. Then the other critical thing is it can't all be at the city level because not all sources are at the city level. Uh, for things like, um, you know, vehicular emissions, the government has decided to bring in the Bharat stage six fuels, which is, you know, a good step forward. We are going to see impacts from that over the next few years as the fleet turns over. Um, we've had schemes like the, um, you know, Pradhan Mantri Ujvalayojna, which is trying to bring cleaner fuel to households. Again, at the national level, these kinds of efforts are going to be critical. So we need to be thinking about, you know, what to do in a similar frame for industrial emissions for um, the power plants we have, which are also contributing to the overall um, air pollution problem. So,
0: I mean... Uh, I understand, uh, you know, every city has its own problems. There are different ways that air pollution, uh, these cities had to deal with air pollution. But uh, are there any cities, uh, you know, which had like similar troubles? I mean, Indian, uh, this is a very, uh, I feel, different kinds of problems that we have where, you know, stubble burning. I don't know if Beijing had stubble burning problem or, you know, Diwali suddenly, you know, on that day, you see a hike and then it stays like that in trains. Uh,
1: no, there's actually um I mean, there will always be some sources that are very specific to um, you know, cities and countries. But the, the issue of Diwali is I think a good one because we tend to think of fireworks being used in um, you know, India during Diwali. It creates a huge spike on one day. But it's it's not been a unique problem in, in India in some ways. You know, China at um during the New Year festival. They have a lot of celebration, of course. And at the time, people traditionally use fireworks. Um And that had just been the way things were done. So again, you know, in Chinese cities, a similar um increase in air pollution was always seen around the time when fireworks were being used for the festivities. And over time, what the the governments there have tried to do is, you know, restrict what people can actually use. They've banned the use of fireworks. Um, They've tried to sort of move into some communal, um, you know, celebrations, which would reduce how much fireworks are used. And not just China, this has been, you know, a problem in the UK. This is a problem in the US when 4th of July, uh, their sort of Independence Day happens, and there are fireworks in different parts of the country. And there's an increase in pollution levels. So I think, some sources are going to be very, very um, unique to our cities and you know to um, to India, but there are always sort of these examples of sources that cut across. So you know, tr- traffic, for example, in many places, cars continue to be a big problem. Um, and as you keep on increasing the number of cars on the road, you are going to add to, you know, that contribution from the transportation sector. So effectively addressing that in some ways, making cars cleaner, more efficient. Um, LA is, you know, good example there because they tend to have the the most uh, stringent emission standards for vehicles. And they tend to sort of, you know, lead that space even Within the U.S., they have the most stringent standards and across the world. And a part of that has been because they do experience, um, you know, or transportation is a big contributor there. So they've taken that step of going in that direction. So there are some parallels that we can draw. I think Mexico City is one example that's often brought up in, um, you know, as an example in the Indian context, because some of the problems have been similar and over time. Uh, Mexico City has actually done really well in trying to control air pollution and trying to reduce the the levels. And it was, again, a very multi-pronged approach, addressing various sources, trying to bring in as many partners on the government side to work together um, and over a long term. So, We can't, you know, we can't think about solutions that are just going to quickly fix something for now, but it might resurface at a later stage. We need to be thinking about solutions that will bring benefits, you know, tomorrow and then six months from now and five years from now and 15 years from now. So that's sort of the approach that we need to be thinking towards um, in a very specific, you know, stage by stage manner.
0: Yeah, I mean, we see, currently we see knee-jerk reaction quite a lot, um, you mm-hmm. know, stop sending children to school suddenly, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for a week, um, I mean, without thinking how the parents are going to manage, <laughs> that's a big problem every yeah. year yeah. in Delhi, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, you have the odd event that's being implemented, Um, yeah. um the government has not put out, uh, I think the Supreme Court has asked for a study to be submitted. Uh, if it's been helpful right. or not. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, which means that the studies are not out in public saying, you know, exactly if these mm-hmm. knee-jerk reactions are even helpful or are they just uh, right. poll promises or just show off during the winter season to talk about? Yeah.
1: yeah, I think that's, you know, you're sort of hitting the nail in the head in some ways because um, all of these sort of events in in an emergency, of course, you have to try and, you know, do the best you can. Um, if if air pollution levels are really high, you know, the easy thing to do is to try and protect yourself so not get exposed to those high levels of air pollution. But you know, in today's time, um, it's harder to then try and immediately coordinate. You know, how you're going to make sure if your kids are at home and the schools close, and um, but at the same time, implementing you know solutions that can be helpful. So Odd Even, for example, is, is you know, one possible wedge in that bigger, um, you know, group. But unless we are also dealing with the other issues um, and trying to, you know, control emissions from the different sectors that play a role, that alone cannot be the um, sort of, uh, you know, shining light that solves all of our air pollution problems. And in some ways, that idea of different agencies coordinating and working together, not just within one city and within one state, but across states, I think that's going to be very, very critical because our air, you know, doesn't really say, oh, well, this is Delhi's border. Now I'm going to stop because this is my limit. Like air just sort of goes everywhere. So emissions in other parts of uh, India are going to impact Delhi. Emissions in Delhi could be impacting other parts of India. And it's, in fact, not just restricted to India. It also, you know, um, translates into transboundary air pollution across countries. That idea of different agencies, different governments, different political parties coming together to address this problem, because we all breathe the same air, um, I think is an important one.
0: What do you feel would be one big policy change that the government should take up, uh, you know, to at least cut down the amount of pollution that happens over here. One major policy is that you feel. I know there's like a mix of things, a lot of things needs to be done, but what could be that one thing which everyone should sit on and say, do it now?
1: I, yeah, I think, um, again, in this case, what scale we are looking at would, um, in in some sense, decide what the solution should be. Uh, a lot of the conversation in, you know, uh, recent months and, in fact, every year around this time tends to focus on stubble burning and, you know, why it happens and what can we do. Um, that as a source in itself, we know is, um, you know, we can try and address it in a in a way that uh, over the next few years, we're going to see. Uh, less and less impact from the problem. If we think about national level policy making, which is going to, you know, help Delhi but also a lot of other uh, parts of the country, then, you know, thinking about improving or controlling emissions from power plants and the industries, I think, can be very helpful at that scale. At the city level, uh, trying to, you know, improve access to public transportation, trying to control waste burning um, and, you know, implementing solutions that improve efficient um, and uh, sort of environment friendly waste management is going to be critical. So for each level of the government, I think there are things that they could be doing now so that the next year and then in the following years, we see improvements in air quality. Um, But I'll also add that we need to be, uh, you know, very pragmatic. Even if we implement a policy today, it's not going to show us the the results tomorrow. So it is going to take a little bit of time Um, and we need to be patient. But at the same time, we need to make sure that the ball doesn't drop once, you know, the skies uh, get a little blue again and that we are all thinking and trying to um, you know, stay on this conversation all year round um, and do sort of, you know, our part in keeping keeping the the issue in public, uh, you know, sort of conversations and making sure that policy discussions are moving forward and implemented in, in a way that will show results ultimately.
0: In uh, China, you know, uh, I've seen at least in videos and stuff, People are quite conscious uh, about you wearing the masks and, you know, uh, being careful, especially during high air pollution days. We don't necessarily see that in Delhi. There are some people who are, but I mean, uh, even for example, if I'm not wrong, uh, there is still GST on all the air pollution masks and all the air filters that you buy. Uh, Even from government side, there is no promotion as such of, you know, uh, telling people to uh, I mean, are, there are radio ads, but nothing more than that in terms of mm-hmm. policy interventions the government can do to promote people to, you know, wear masks mm-hmm. or buy air purifiers at home or at schools. Uh,
1: yeah.
0: Some mandatory things. I mean, I, uh, it might be a, a bigger expense, but then at least uh, something like that needs to be done. What do you feel about this?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, the, the issue of masks um, actually comes up quite a bit and, You're right. In China, a lot of people, um, you know, use them quite a lot. And even in um, Kathmandu in Nepal, uh, if you, you know, are out at a time when pollution level tends to be high, a lot of people are using face masks and, you know, they're like, yeah, it's because of pollution and we want to protect ourselves. And we don't see that happen in, in Delhi as much. I think the issue is also a little bit convoluted in the sense that, you know, you need to have the right kind of mask and it needs to fit you really well. Um and if you really think about it, if um, you know, for someone who's able to afford an air purifier, that of course makes, you know, sense, they can go and buy one and use it. Um, but think about the, you know, Chaiwala on the side of the road. What is he going to do? I mean I mean, you know, the, the concerns are so much bigger than what the air pollution levels are or, you know, the the solutions that are being Offered are so much beyond um, what they are able to really spend money on that it's not really going to be a feasible uh solution in some ways. And yes, the you know, there could be more specific advisories, at least in trying to um sensitize people and you know say that they should try and reduce their exposure in whatever way possible. Um and I would actually say, just from my personal experience over the last few years, that the the awareness levels are increasing. In part, you know, because the issue is being made very um, public. Um, a lot of you know citizen groups are starting to become very active, particularly in Delhi. Um, that is definitely the case, and they are trying to sort of you know bring awareness about how to reduce your exposure and, and what to do. Um, so we are starting to see some of that happen. Um, But again, the effectiveness of these kinds of measures really depends on how you're using them, especially for face masks. And recently, the Delhi government distributed, you know, a lot of face masks uh, to people. And if, if they're not really given proper sort of guidance on how to use those face masks and, you know, when to use them and um, what to do with them, then even having a face mask on is not going to be as helpful. So I think the bigger point that could be made is to try and minimize exposure when pollution levels are extremely high to the extent possible. You know, if you're a runner, don't go run when air pollution levels are very high. It's probably not, a, a good idea but again i think in you know to some extent in my view that the conversation does come back to the point that it is not going to help unless we actually reduce emissions at source um you know one completely um different approach that some people have been um suggesting and it's i think being implemented in some places as well as you know is installing outdoor air purifiers um, in different parts of the city to try and improve the air quality. But again, that money and that time and effort would much rather be spent on doing something to reduce emissions at source because those outdoor air purifiers are not going to change anything. It's, you know, an open environment. How are you going to really try and clean the air that's all um, sort of around you?
0: I read uh, in a newspaper yesterday uh, that they put an air purifier uh, in front of Taj Mahal. I was wondering, you know, I was wondering what effect it will have. I mean, uh, I don't know how many people will get benefited out of it.
1: Yes, I mean, that's the, you know, that's sort of the thing that um, our policy solutions, uh, even in case of emergency and, you know, really high pollution levels need to be, Pragmatic and need to be things that are actually going to have an impact, um, but you know, in some ways, I, I think I've been painting a very dim picture for the last few minutes. But I think if you uh, you know look back to like seven, eight years ago, the the conversation on air pollution tended to be sort of very restricted to a very small group of people. It was not an uh, it was not a public issue. It was not something everyone was talking about. But, um, you know, because of, A, the the fact that pollution levels are becoming very, very high and people see it in front of their eyes, in part because there's more media attention and, you know, more sort of um, citizen groups and individuals getting involved. I think we are, uh, you know, reaching that point where more people are interested and engaged and continue to be, you know, those numbers are continuously increasing The, the government's um political parties are taking the issue in, you know, in sort of some serious light. There are ideas being floated on things to do and not to do. Um, so this is, uh, this, you know, this is progress. Of course, we need a lot more than this. And um we have a long way to go. But, uh, you know, in some ways, just sort of, you know, offering some hope that, yes, uh, you know, we're sort of moving in the right direction, but we just need a lot more action on the ground.
0: A couple of years back, I remember uh, both the Western Peripheral and Eastern Peripheral roads of Delhi, which are kind Mm -hmm. of a ring road, uh, was built with spending crores of rupees. Um, The government, the central government said, I remember Nitin Gadkari talking about the pollution of Delhi would be coming down because of these roads, but I don't think that has changed Anything um, mm-hmm. policy decisions like these, where you're pouring in millions in the name of air pollution, and then mm-hmm. the outcome, there is no, you know, mechanism of uh, there's no uh, mechanism of following up with these policies if they have really helped uh, the city or if they have just you know, continued to pollute the city. Uh, things like these need to be done. I, I don't know if there are papers that are being done on things like these.
1: No, you know, this is uh, such an important point you're making because um, ultimately, even when we have these different interventions and, you know, now with the National Clean Air Programme, cities around the country, more than 100 cities around the country are going to be implementing um, their own clean air plans, clean air action plans within which they specify what kinds of efforts they will, um, you know, undertake. And we we wouldn't really know whether or not any of these are having an impact unless we are quantifying what the net you know positive is if there is any and that sort of goes back to an earlier uh, point you were raising about um, availability of information and availability of data on air quality i think one critical role that good quality, um, you know, data across the country will help us to is essentially address this question you're asking, did a particular intervention actually help or not? Um, You know, because if we have certain planned interventions in different cities, and we are able to actually measure what the impact of those interventions is, then it makes sense to try, you know, if we see really good results from a particular intervention, then there are ways to institutionalize it in a way that it can be implemented across the country. But some other intervention, on the other hand, may not really change anything at all. And in that case, too, is it really worth, you know, spending the time and money on on that kind of um, work? Is uh, you know it's going to be an important point it's a point that people have started um you know raising now especially since the national clean air program sort of talks about a targeted reduction um by 15 to 20% how will we quantify that who will quantify that how will we know whether or not that actually happened um so a lot of these questions tend to be very interlinked in terms of you know where their answers lie
0: yeah uh, any final words you would like to add
1: i think what i would uh, probably end by saying is that uh, first and foremost as uh, you know air quality levels improve relatively speaking in delhi and in other parts of um, india we should not stop thinking about the issue we should not stop talking about the issue even when you know the skies are blue air pollution levels are generally fairly high, um, both in Delhi and in other places. So we need to keep the conversations going. We need to keep the, um, you know, uh, the governments and bureaucrats accountable for trying and continuously implementing measures to improve air pollution. And besides that, stay safe, Um, you know, uh, try and reduce your exposure as much as you can.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Climate Emergency. If you like this episode and would like to support the work that we are doing, please contribute generously at sunoindia.in support. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple iTunes, Google Podcast, CastBox or wherever you are listening to this podcast. Or you can go to our website sunoindia.in.